Hello and welcome to the AMSSM Sports MedCast. As we approach the 2023 AMSSM annual meeting in Phoenix, Arizona, we continue our mini journal club series highlighting each of the top articles in sports and exercise medicine from 2021 as selected from last spring's annual meeting. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy Schroeder, and I am joined today by Rebecca King, who is a sports medicine physician at the Dunfries Health Center in Dunfries, Virginia. She serves as a member of the top article subcommittee, part of the AMSSM Education Committee. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. All right, so we are getting down to the final top two articles for this past year's annual meeting. This article is the American Medical Society for Sports Medicine Position Statement, Principles for the Responsible Use of Regenerative Medicine in Sports Medicine. This was published by John Finoff and a star-studded ensemble in the Clinical Journal of Sports Medicine. Now, like many of us, I am always attracted to shiny new toys, especially in sports and exercise medicine. And we always have the strong desire to offer the brightest and best for our patients, filling treatment gaps that previously we didn't have a great answer for. But sometimes it does come at a cost, whether that be risk of harm to our patients or to our patients as a lot of these new therapies aren't really covered by insurance. And that can sometimes create some ethical concerns of, you know, are we promoting these things because it's cool and we are excited about it? And do we feel great about asking a patient to pay out of pocket for something that doesn't necessarily have the greatest evidence-based medicine yet? So I think that was some of what formulated this article. Now, Rebecca, what was it that seemed to stimulate this position statement and what were the aims of it to begin with? Yeah, this is a a great position statement. I think it took a, a big and complicated topic and it really boiled it down to a very digestible position statement that does a great job. So the statement itself is divided into about three parts. The first part reviews the basic and clinical science of regenerative products, specifically looking at PRP therapies, more specifically bone marrow aspirate. And then the last perinatal products. Second topic looks at regulatory issues. The third talks about introducing regenerative medicine into your clinical practice. Awesome. So yeah, big three, three phases that were really looked at for this position statement. So, you know, this article is a little bit different than a lot of the other ones reviewed, a lot of systematic reviews, a lot of prospective or retrospective studies or RCTs that we've looked at. So this is a position statement. So I'd like to go in, if you could, let's talk a little bit about that first set, the basic and clinical science of regenerative products. What did you guys take away from this section specifically? So big, big takeaways are that PRP specifically has the most and probably best evidence behind it. The position statement also looked at each of these therapies for tendinopathies and for NEOA. And so PRP has the most support, most evidence behind NEOA and lateral epicondylopathies. Although there are some nice studies with uh, PRP and the rotator cuff, but the specific setting of those was always in after undergoing repair. And then with the cellular therapies, we have even less studies. And 
a lot of the studies, unfortunately, include processes that are outside of what the FDA has approved in the United States. So they're not really applicable to something that we could do in our clinics. So they're really, for OA, there really has only been one study with bone marrow aspirate concentrate, and it compared it with saline injections, and the outcomes were actually similar between the two groups. There really hasn't been enough studies looking at cellular therapies and tendinopathies to draw any conclusions. And then the last are the perinatal products. So that's things like umbilical cord blood, Wharton's jelly. And overall, the position statement says, we are nowhere near a place where we could think about using this clinically. It's too early on in its sort of a study lifeline, and it, they are not recommending it for clinical use. Okay, so that is it is helpful to have the AMSSM position statement as it helps to guide the sports and exercise medicine physician in what we're looking at in applying to our current practices. Now, that's good to look at where we're at currently with clinical sciences, what the evidence shows thus far. And we're always looking for more studies and more evidence. And there's been lots of calls for further research into these different things to determine its safety and efficacy on those things. So moving on to like the regulatory issues, what are some of the big things that they discussed in that section of this position statement? Yeah, so they were talking about how clinicians should be aware that these products are heavily regulated by the FDA, and also they should be aware that what you say about these products and how you advertise these products is regulated by the FTC. So there's quite a few regulations that the clinician should be aware of if they decide to incorporate this into their practice. And they did look at two very specific things when it comes to FDA regulation, and that was the idea of homologous use. So that is the, you know, using the tissues for basically the same purpose they were doing before, and then minimal manipulation, which is you're not significantly altering the tissue once it has been removed from the body prior to using it. But, you know, it's, it's way outside the scope of this statement or this podcast to get into the specific regulations, but it does a very good job of saying, listen, if you're going to include this, you should be well aware of all of the governmental regulations that come with this. Yeah, I think that is super important to have that infrastructure on what to look for, how to maybe discern of those various new marketing of the new things that are they're coming out and we're trying to figure out what we can use, what we should use, and how to move forward with our with our studies. And then moving on to this, uh, the last section about introducing regenerative medicine into our clinical practices. Uh, you know, many of us have already done to some extent of how we bring that in. But what are your recommendations, Rebecca, for how to be responsible and prudent as we introduce these things to provide potentially good care for our patients, but making sure that we're doing right by them in that responsibility. Absolutely. So I, I may just directly quote the statement here because it, it does a great job of saying that clinicians should use the least invasive, safest, most cost-effective treatment with the highest levels of evidence first before offering these novel treatments. And I think that's 
that's a big one. This isn't something, as we've talked about, the, the evidence is not there yet. It isn't something we should be offering as a first choice. Uh, the other big recommendations is to continue to engage in continuing medical education on this topic. And I think probably most important is have a very robust informed consent process. Have a prolonged conversation with your patient, have it all written out, have the evidence that's there, making sure that you're really covering all the major evidence, adverse events before the patient undergoes the procedure. And then my last two, which are my favorite ones, is make sure you have quality control measures. So for instance, with PRP, make sure you're recording exactly what you're putting into that patient. Is it leukocyte rich, poor, et cetera? And then the last is record patient-oriented or patient-reported outcome measures. Have a way to collect that and make sure that what you're doing is actually helping. And then you can also use that in your informed consent process. I think that's super valuable. I know that it's hard as we're going through and we're trying to put out more literature on some of these regenerative therapies or orthobiologics like platelet plasma, which you mentioned, it probably has of all these things has the most research in, but we still lack a specific recipe for what is the most ideal formulation. Each brand of centrifuge or kits have different products. And so when studies just show platelet plasma, we don't know fully what they mean. And I know this kind of specified of that call to research of specifying those things having that recipe dictated of how much of what product was included, as you wow. mentioned, and then using those patient report outcome measures to look back and see, hey, what's effective? Was this recipe successful or not? So we don't have further articles just saying, nope, PRP is not effective whatsoever. Um, we can say, well, based on this, this formulation of plate-rich plasma does not appear to have a significant therapeutic benefit and we can move on to other different variables uh, within that as we search to find what are effective treatments for our patients. Absolutely. I mean, I think overall it's, you should be cautious, you should be thoughtful, and you should probably over-document in these cases. Absolutely. And the, and the other thing that I love what you said is this should have a informed consent process and use those different things in a shared decision-making model of offering more cost-effective, more well-studied, least invasive, and overall safest things along that treatment algorithm and discuss the pros and cons of all those different things with our patients as we come up with a treatment plan together. And so we're not just saying, hey, this is the cool new thing, this is the brightest and best, and this is what you should do, uh, because there are lots of different options that might be more cost-effective. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. I love this article, and it's a, it's a no-brainer why this was a, one of the, uh, the number two article for the top articles subcommittee here. Thank you again so much for your time, Rebecca. Thank you. I'd like to thank Dr. Rebecca King from the AMSSM Top Articles Committee. Links to this article can be found in our podcast show notes. I'd also like to thank you, the listener. I hope you have found this time valuable. And if so, please share this podcast with your colleagues and help promote the visibility of the podcast by liking, subscribing, and leaving a quality five-star review on your preferred listening platform. 
We hope you'll join us for the 2023 AMSSM annual meeting in Phoenix, Arizona, April 28th through May 3rd, held in person, but also a virtual attendance option. And join us again soon for the next edition of the AMSSM Sports Medcast. The views expressed are theirs alone and do not represent the official policy or position of the AMSSM, the U.S. Army, Department of Defense, or U.S. government.